Hello, everyone. This is Edward Mayberry with the San Antonio Public Library podcast team tuned in. Today, we have a special podcast. We have Mario Cano, and we have Hello. Jennifer Milton. I'll let, you, I'll let them introduce themselves in a minute, but I just want to give a little preface before we start. The library is a resource center, and we're all about giving out information. And a lot of times, especially during this COVID situation, we need people to get more involved, more in tuned, and have all the correct information you can have. Misinformation is not helping us out during the pandemic. It's not helping us out with diagnosis or anything of that nature. The library has a resource center. We have online databases. We have books in print. We have knowledgeable librarians. So please, if you have a concern or you just want to validate or support the information that you receive from your doctor, please, no hesitation, come and check us out. With that said, don't be like me and you get to something, you think it's something you caught from the crusade. So just be careful with the information you receive and make sure that you get everything that's correct. And before further ado, I want to introduce Mario Cano. Mario, please tell us about yourself. Hello, my name is Mario Cano. Uh, I'm 48 years old. I was born and raised in San Antonio. Uh, I've traveled throughout this country. I uh, recently retired after 25 years in federal law enforcement. Back in 2018, after a shooting incident, I went to the hospital with Bell's palsy, diagnosed with Bell's palsy, which is facial paralysis. Um, luckily, it went away after, after some treatment. Uh, but during that treatment, uh, they did some blood tests and they informed me that I had cirrhosis of the liver, uh, which was surprising to me since I don't drink, I don't smoke, uh, don't use any illicit drugs or anything. Uh, I was a, somewhat overweight at the time due to um, prior injuries and stuff. I got stuck in the office doing intelligence work, which I loved, but didn't afford me the the capacity to get out and do what I usually did and be more physical. Uh, during that time, I was stable for through the use of medicines to my doctors down in McAllen, which I was living in McAllen at the time for about two years. Uh, as my body adjusted to the different medication, it started becoming ineffective. And unfortunately, they, I decided to go ahead and retire after the 25 years. I, I wanted to go more, but because of the medical condition, I decided to retire due to the fact that I was the only cure was going to be a transplant. Uh, at the beginning of this year, the doctors had evaluated me and they were thinking in December, they were thinking that six months to a year was going to be maybe they could postpone it for about a year, especially with the COVID situation, risk the transplant. Unfortunately, I retired at the end of February. By the end of March, I started getting a little bit sicker. The medicines weren't, uh, they weren't metabolizing right. And so my numbers started jumping up. Uh, by the time April came around in May, uh, I had three weekends in a row. I had what was called acute liver failure, where my liver would shut down for about a day or so. And that would cause the ammonia that your body produces to not be flushed out naturally. And that ammonia would hit my brain and cause a brain fog where you're disoriented, uh, 
you lose track of where you're at. And, and so it started getting worse and worse. Uh, by the third time it happened, I also couldn't breathe too well. Um, I didn't know what it was. I was hoping it was not COVID, but what it turned out to be is when your liver starts failing, your blood gets very thin and your blood, I, my blood was actually sweating through my veins and, and liquid started collecting in my abdomen and my legs and stuff. And the liquid that was trapped in my abdomen and was pushing most of my organs up. And that was causing me not to be able to breathe and recover as I usually expected to recover. So at that point, they decided to go ahead and push up the 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 transplant because I, I got I took a drastic fall pretty quick and health wise uh, within within weeks it went my there, there's a certain score that they use from the blood test that that they use to when you get certified to go onto the organ transplant list they use it to place you on that list depending on how bad you are it goes from 4 to 40 uh, when for about 2 years i had been in the in the low 20s and like I said, in the beginning of by mid-May, I was already in the high 20s. And by June, I hit, I was in the low 30s and it got worse from there. Uh, by the June 24th, they had rushed through, they had done everything possible. I was already in the hospital and they were trying to get everything as quick as possible because my liver was starting to shut down completely and that was putting a lot of pressure on my on my kidneys uh to the point where i my score got by the time i was certified to go onto the list my score was a 38 which is really really high uh due to the severity of of how bad i was when i Got on the list. I actually went nationally as number one on the list, and even even at number one, it took about four days. And I'm O positive, so the doctors themselves didn't expect me to for it to be four days. They expected it to be a lot sooner, but unfortunately, it happened that I had to wait four days to get the phone call that I got, which was basically the lifesaver. Because the doctors were, I was looking at weeks, not months anymore. Let me ask you a question uh, real quick, Mario. So how long were you in the university health system before you received your liver? I know you were in the hospital for a period of time. How long were you there being stabilized before you actually received your liver? Um, well, this goes back to when, when I was living in McAllen, which they had stabilized me there for a while. And then when I got up here, I started seeing the doctors here where I entered their program, the transplant program here, I believe in mid-May. So probably about a month and a half, probably about six weeks. Okay. Okay. And now you received your new liver. How do you feel? It, it was, they, when the doctors warn you that when you get a transplant and stuff, you're going to feel a lot younger. You're going to feel a lot better, but to be careful, to know your limitations. And 
for me, uh, my recovery was was pretty quick. Uh, I only lasted two days in the ICU, which usually you last anywhere from three to five. Uh, within a week, I was already standing up, um, taking a couple of uh, steps for the walker. By within 10 days, I was already walking down the hallways with with the assistance of a walker more just as a precaution than anything else. And, and since then, my recovery has been really good, except uh, we've had a couple of bumps in the road because I got so bad, uh, my kidneys got injured a little bit. And, but for the most part, the doctors have been really, really happy with my recovery and progression. And I feel great. I, I, I haven't felt this good in, like I mentioned to you, I, I hadn't felt this good since high school. Right, right. That's amazing. That's truly amazing. And with your portion, I want to introduce the Chief Administrative Officer for the Transplant Center, University Transplant Center, Jennifer Milton. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. So Jennifer, Marjorie shared the story with us. Give us a little background about yourself, a little bio about yourself, and how the University Transplant Center transforms lives. Sure. Um, I will get started on that. And first, I have to give a huge shout out, um, Mario. Thanks for your 25 years of service, what you've done for the community, and uh, and clearly a torch you continue to carry by advocating for others in the community by, you know, sharing your story and raising awareness. So I can't thank you enough. Um, so um, I have been in transplantation for this is really the start of my 28th year. Um, I became a critical care nurse, um, and I had been a nurse for about one year, and I'd really not gotten a lot of education on donation, even through nursing school. I took care of a young gentleman uh, who was in his 40s and very unexpectedly had a stroke and died, and, um, and he was able to be an organ donor, and he went on and saved eight lives restored the sight of two and over 75 people were restored to help through tissue donation. Wow. And, um, and I, and when you're a critical care nurse and even in Mario's career, um, you, you see a lot of, um, tragedy and, and humanity, it, it, you know, we see, and I took care of a lot of patients who had unsurvivable, um, situations and, and on occasion, I would take care of someone who, uh, you know, was not able to survive, but they were qualified to be an organ donor. And I watched how donation transformed their family and the survivors. And, and that, you know, it's so powerful to think a person's very last act on this earth is in fact to give life to others. And, um, and uh, so when I took care of that gentleman um, back 28 years ago, um, I, I, it was the most, uh, and to this day still is the most, um, miraculous 24 hours in modern healthcare to me. And, um, and I knew it was a field I had to work in. I just had to be a part of that process. So, uh, I took a job working with an organ donation program and, um, like everyone else in Texas, I got to Texas as fast as I could about 15 years ago and, uh, joined the faculty at the university of Texas health San Antonio and we are the faculty and physician arm of all of the amazing work um, being done at University Health every day, but particularly in the University Health Transplant Institute. So um, I run the center. Uh, my, my two daughters call me a fake nurse these days <laughs> because I, uh, I typically am in more business clothes and I'm 
I work on the end of just streamlining, making sure all the teams are in place. We can get a, fly, a, a Learjet at 3 a.m. when a liver becomes available for a patient on our waiting list and get the right teams and the right surgeons where they need to be. I deal with a lot of the insurance companies and the intricacies and difficulties with making sure our patients can um, get on the waiting list and stay on the waiting list. And, um, and honestly, uh, you know, Mario was, before we went live, was sharing with me how he, he describes our team like his family. My job is to take care of the family. <laughs> yes, ma'am, that's correct. I want to thank both of y'all, Mario, for your service with the, with the Board of Patrol and your service at this transplant center. It's, it's a miraculous job. It's a hard job because, again, I can only, my mother was a nurse. She was an LVN. And the things mentally you have to go through and the connections you make with your patients and to lose those patients, that's, that takes off. That's, that's tough. That's truly tough, but I really do appreciate all the work you've done. And with that said, my main concern, my main goal of this podcast is to get people to donate, be an organ donor. Let's get those donations out. Everyone, we need to, to all this misinformation, all these myths, we just debunk all these things and get everybody the true facts of how they can save a life. They can save a life being a living donor. They'll save a life when they, when as a cadaver, as a deceased donor. So University Health Center, what can we do as a library to help to get information out for you? How can we help you with that? Sure. Well, um, I love the setting of that. You're exactly right. Um, we need to raise awareness and we need to debunk mess. So let me tell you the great news. The great news is when Americans were surveyed in a Gallup poll and asked, would you like to donate your organs? 95% of them said, absolutely. That's astounding. That tells me we got it. People want to save lives and be organ donors. Now here's the problem. If something happens to you unexpectedly and you pass away, no one's there to ask you if you wanna be an organ donor. Who, who do they ask? True. They ask your surviving family members who are distraught, overwhelmed. Their whole life has flipped upside down and in the blink of an eye. And the number one reason we don't have enough organ donors is because when the family is asked, what they say is, we don't know what he wanted. If it was important to him, you think he would have told us, we can't make that decision for her. So um, we've got some great remedies to that. We've had some great successes there, but at the end of the day, what has happened in America over all the years, Mario's and Border Patrol actually 25 years ago, the nation started a donation registry. And, um, and so when you actually go to get your license renewed in Texas, and they ask you if you wanna be an organ donor, that goes into a registry and it's called legally binding first person authorization. And if you have registered your wishes to be a donor, the great news is they don't have to burden your family with trying to guess what you wanted. So in America, 60% of people holding a driver's license have registered their wishes to be a donor. Um, and so that means about six out of 10 times, no one even has to ask your family anymore. They come in and say, you know, we're so sorry, but let me, but um, here's some information, you know, 
James had signed this form to be an organ donor, let us tell you what's going to happen next. So that has resulted in some great outcomes. I can share with you some of the great news coming from that. But really what we've, the gap, what we've discovered in America is that in the pandemic, like so many things has worsened it, is that the number one way in America you can register to be an organ donor is when you go renew your driver's license. Well, how often do you guys go do that? I think it's like eight years. I just did mine, had to go in, I think it's eight years now. Right. Yeah, a lot so of, that's you, a lot of time. So if you go in as a young man or a young person to get your you know, first driver's license, um, what we've learned in America is that's happening at a later and later age. Some people are not even getting their very first driver's license now until they're 19, 20, 21, 23. Then you don't go back to even be asked a second time. It depends on your state. In some states, it's four years. In some states, it's eight. In some states, it's even longer. Um, you, we're missing opportunities, and we know when person gets an opportunity to register a donor, 95% of the time they say yes. Um, you know, it holds true that Gallup poll. So what we're really working on um, is a, a multitude of initiatives. How can maybe when someone goes online to get a library card or do a transaction at the San Antonio Library, maybe there's a link there. Do you want to be an organ donor? Register here. It takes less than a minute. Maybe when you purchase something on Amazon, a little blip could come up. Maybe when you sign up for your health portal at your hospital. So what America really needs is to create an opportunity for people to register to be a donor. Um, and, and, and then for the times that they have not, uh, that's where we need to work on those myths and debunk those myths because their family, who is trying to make a decision for them, often is, you know, mired in some mess and misconceptions. So anyway, I, I think it's a good news, bad news situation. Uh, the good news is we just need awareness and electronic opportunities for people to say yes to donation. Right. And the bad news is 106,738 people are going to bed tonight praying their phone rings and they're getting the call that Mario did. So that's the bad news. We have a pressing need. 22 people who die every single day in the nation uh, without getting that phone call. Oh my goodness. That is a pretty good segue to the other hat you, you wear for Donate Life. Do you want to talk about that as well? Oh, sure. So I, I was really honored um, about a year and a half ago um, um, to uh, step in as a volunteer and be the chair of the board of directors of Donate Life America. Donate Life America is a nonprofit organization based in Richmond, Virginia, and they work with every state in the United States uh, to make those registries work. Um, and um, and uh, one of the initiatives, uh, Donate Life America, um, a, a tremendous resource, I know, and I'll make sure you get that link um, um, because you said you're, you know, always libraries or that source you go to for good information. Um, but Donate Life America was really the visionary organization that saw a need that Americans needed to register their wishes so we didn't have to rely on their surviving family members. And uh, in about two months, we're going to launch for the first time in the U.S. history a national living donor registry. Uh, you mentioned at the beginning um, that, you know, we can save lives through living donation. Um, and we don't really have a way in the country that just uh, a, a stranger, an altruistic donor can come forward. So 
uh, Donate Life America had partnered with Apple Health. And, um, and I, I told you we need more opportunities. And one of the opportunities Apple Health presented to Donate Life America is when you got a new iPhone and you did your setup and you go in to do your health app, uh, the iPhone asks you if you are an organ donor and it gives you a chance to register. And 4,500 Americans a day registered through their iPhone. And that really taught Donate Life America and those of us in the community that, you know what, we just need to put a registration page every, everywhere we could okay. uh, so that people had that opportunity more than once every eight years, you know, when they need their driver's license. So, um, uh, so uh, I, I've been wearing that volunteer hat uh, for about two years and uh, we'll be very proud to see the National Living Donor Registry launch and texas in fact is going to be where it launches in the united states so real excited about that that's awesome that's truly awesome and we just need to get the awareness out for the links and it, it doing research for this i went to donate life america it takes less than two minutes to register i registered through my driver's license but it it's it can be done just do it and the other part of this is mario we're talking about it earlier about the myths and you had a good myth about you're going to speak to the archdiocese about some things. Can you share that with us about that myth? Yes. First, I'd like to touch on, on, on the living donation because both my nephew and my stepdaughters were trying to go through to be living donors for me. And I'm, I'm a pretty big guy and my daughters, they're 28 and 30 years old, but they weigh maybe a hundred and, 100 pounds, 110 pounds. So my concern was how is their little liver going to fit my big body? Uh, I found out during that, during that time, and it was explained to me, there's a thing called a domino transplant, which basically if someone who has a living donor that would fit me and my daughter's, one of my daughter's livers could help them. It would be like a two-way transplant. My, my living donor could help them. Their donor would help me. And this could, this could actually go three, four, five different ways. And that's why they call it a domino, which is amazing to me that that, that, that concept, it makes perfect sense. It's a simple concept, but how many people don't believe that 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 could happen and that goes back into the the myths of of the different religions the different uh i remember back in middle school talking to a science teacher and she was extremely smart and stuff and the organ donation thing came up and i asked her so miss thomas are you a uh an organ donor and she's like no and i was like why not and she goes what if i'm not dead and i'm like i'm pretty sure they make sure you're before they take anything out um that that you've passed away <laughs> and and that in itself right there i it took me back that i was 13 years old and and here's a science teacher who's extremely smart but still had that myth in there that what if somehow, some way they bring me back to life and I don't have a liver and I was like, or, or, or a lung or, and I was like, no, I'm pretty sure they make sure that you, you've passed away before they do anything. 
but and it goes back to different religions uh the the myth of you have to bury the body whole which which i'm catholic uh I mentored a young man back in the day through through a program who became a priest. And uh, when he heard about what was happening, he gave me a call and we talked. And uh, he was there before my transplant and after. And afterwards, I uh, spoke to him about trying to reach and get the word out through through the different Catholic masses and speak at at different churches and he thought it was a great idea so he said let me talk to my archbishop and which was he works for the archdiocese in tucson and 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 he says we'll reach out to the archdiocese there in san antonio and see if we could set something up and and since my daughters still live in tucson uh he says maybe when you come visit them you could speak here also and i was like yes of course and and uh, and that's he found out that the church, the Catholic Church, all the way up to the Vatican, wholeheartedly supports the idea of organ donation. Um, they believe that that there's no problem with when people. The misconception about about burying the body whole means that not to, for the body to have a proper a proper burial, not to to dis, discard a body basically. And that's the misconception that you have to, like they say, the body is a vessel. It, 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 it has nothing to do with most religions have, whether throughout all religions, it's, it's basically your soul, right. that not your body, your body is a vessel. And if your body could, if part of your body could save somebody else, I don't know of any religion that, that, isn't into saving another person's life and and that's one of the biggest misconceptions of it and like i said just the misinformation of of people that are i think it's more of not knowing and always kind of back going back to school where you don't you don't know but you don't want to ask because you don't want to feel like well if i ask am i going to look dumb or and stuff so i i believe that that's that's one of the biggest problems and and another thing is, if you if you seriously want to be an organ donor, not only sign up for it, but make sure your family knows about it, because that's that's another thing. It's it's kind of like a your will and testament. Just uh, your there's so many process uh, a living will. Um, your your who who can make your medical decisions. So I believe that that it, it's more of a communication problem than anything else. And we need to learn how to communicate. And that goes through, I don't think it's a, a cultural problem. I think it's more of a human problem that right. more and more we, we share more stuff on social media with the world than we do with our family. Exactly. Exactly. That's, and that's insane. That should be one of the main focus. If you know your will, this is, my, this is what I want to happen. I want to be an organ donor. And I know the grief sometimes alters people's perceptions and their answers when they when they ask those questions because the grief just, you know, I won't want it to be complete. I don't want it to even happen to them, but we just have to look at paying it forward. The sacrifice or the 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 uh, what your partner or what your loved one is giving can save, like you said earlier, eight lives. Tissue donations, 75 people. It's just so many people can benefit from those things. So we need to keep that in mind also. 
Jennifer, some more questions regarding the transplant center. What transplants do y'all typically deal in? Um, sure. So our biggest program um, is our, our, our liver and our kidney transplant program. Now, something to know about a kidney transplant is of all of the organs that we transplant, patients can be sustained artificially on dialysis. So because we have dialysis to replace the function of the kidney, the wait time, how long people wait for a kidney on average is just about five years. Um, and heartbreakingly, the life expectancy of a person going on dialysis is guess what? Just about five years. So of the majority of people in the United States that make up that figure I gave you, 106 plus over 106,000 people on the waiting list, the vast majority are waiting for a kidney. For liver transplant, um, uh, and, and I will say a one wonderful thing is that if you can find, if you can share your story and have people like Mario's kids who come forward to donate a kidney to you, um, then that's about half of the transplants we perform and the kidney transplants we perform are from living kidney donors. And, um, and there's no waiting time when you have a living donor other than the couple of months for the donor to go through, you know, some, their, all of their testing and evaluation and schedule that surgery. For liver donation, we're the second largest living liver donor program in the United States. Almost half of the patients that get put, uh, come to University Health Transplant Institute are able to get a liver from a living donor. Um, if you're if you're a patient who needs a liver transplant, I would urge you to say that should be one of the first things you look for. Are you going to a center where that's an option? Um, because um, again, there's no waiting list. And as Mario told his story, and he talked about that MELD score that is called modified end-stage liver disease (MELD), he said it can be between three and forty. When you get right around 40, just as, a, as, as what Mario shared with us, you're, you begin to so sick, it really is a predictor that, that tells us um, when you're expected to die. So when your MELD score gets in those high 30s, um, it really means just as Mario shared personally, you have days or weeks to live. Um, and so um, livers, we don't have a dialysis for liver. If, if liver doesn't come in time, it just is not going to come in time. So one of the big things we try to educate referring doctors and patients in the community about, no matter what state they live in, look for a center that offers living liver donation. And Mario told how we were, he, his children were candidate uh, for what we call the paired liver exchange or paired swap um, uh, domino. And, um, and fortunately, in May of 2020, we were the first program in the U.S. to ever do that. Um, and now we've done multiple chains. And really what uh, I think what's wonderful is the doctors here um, are, have, are they're unrelenting. They are going to do every way they can try to save your life and never compromise a living donor's health. But uh, I always say uh, to our living donors, what's your superpower? You save three people with half a liver. Wow. <laughs> so uh, we're really proud of that. Now, we also have a lung transplant program. Um, and um, and uh, we're the only program in the San Antonio area who transplants children. 
Uh, we have a pediatric kidney transplant program and a pediatric liver transplant program, um, the cutest patients on the planet uh, right downstairs from us. So uh, we also have opened up here at University Health um, a program that really specializes in cancers and tumors of the liver and pancreas. And um, our surgeons became such experts at removing portions of the liver. And the liver is a pretty daunting organ to do surgery on. And they just had so much expertise that, uh, as Mario shared, cirrhosis, which means scarring, um, when you begin to get scarring in your liver, sometimes that scar, that scar tissue predisposes you to cancers in your liver. So that's another real area of expertise that we uh, here, have here at University Health Transplant Institute. Sorry, that was a big mouthful of all the things that we do every day. <laughs> oh, wow. And also, if I'm not mistaken, y'all were the first South Texas organization to do a double lung transplant for a COVID patient. We were the first one to perform it here. There were certainly some patients that were uh, in desperate need of lung transplant that were from the San Antonio area uh, that were landing in other ICUs throughout the country that got a transplant. But uh, we were real proud that we were able to save uh, the young man. Uh, I'm sure you uh, that there was a great story on him. Um, and, uh, and every day we certainly have seen the uh, devastating ravages of, of COVID on people's lungs. Um, many of the patients referred here for lung transplant uh, have suffered really the complete failure of their lungs because of COVID. Well, that's amazing. Thank you for that. Uh, just It's just so much information to, to soak in and to absorb. And for the public, if you want to register, you can always go to registerme.org. Takes us a minute get on the list, get your information, and, you know, just, just help out, pay it forward to the next person. Before we wrap up, I just want to have a couple more questions for you, Jennifer. For living donors, what is the quality of life after you, you donate? So uh, I, <laughs> I love getting asked this question. Um, it, we have a, a, a internationally, there's a remarkable amount of data because living kidney donation has been performed in this, you know, in the world for really about 50 years. And, um, and what we know is that if you donate a kidney, your life expectancy is even greater than the general public. Um, so wow. um, now you have to keep in mind, there's a little selection bias there. Uh, um, when, when we evaluate people like Mario's kids to be a liver donor or people to be a kidney donor, what we tell them is we're not just trying to determine that it's safe for them to have surgery in a month. We want them to be very healthy, great, great grandmothers and grandfathers one day. So we're thinking a lot about their family health and we're thinking about um, risk factors that might be there. We do some testing for advanced signs of um, development of diabetes. Uh, we're looking at their general health and wellness and, and fitness. If we already have someone who's you know, uh, predisposed to hypertension and maybe a little overweight, you know, we really wanna coach them that to be a living donor for the next six decades, these are things we want them you know, to do that are really healthy. So, Donation is extremely safe, uh, both in the short term and in the very long term. Great, great. I don't know what else to say. This has been a wonderful conversation. I just, I just hope we've reached the people. And I think what you have to do is start a conversation. You have to talk about it, get the word out, and then things get moving. I think we're going to a good start here with this conversation. 
again, registerme.org. Takes less than a minute to register. Before we wrap up, I want to thank Jennifer Milton. I want to thank Mario Cano. Thank you for joining us today. All this information, we appreciate your service. We appreciate the work you do. And please spread the word, Mario, about how great they were and keep saving lives. Yes. Um, one thing I'd, I'd like to add. Yes, we, sir. It, unfortunately, uh, I've seen both sides of the coin. Uh, unfortunately, my mom passed away from, from liver disease uh, about four years ago. She was when she was admitted into the same program, uh, unfortunately, because of her age and her other mental, her other uh, health issues she had, she wouldn't have been able to survive the transplant. Um, that's one of the things that I always say is people believe that that because they don't feel sick, they aren't sick. And they feel like the misconception of, well, if I go to the doctor, all they're going to say is that I'm sick. So I'd rather not know as long as I don't feel. The sooner you go and get checked out for any type of cancer, for anything. Um, fortunately, as you know, I've gone through uh, this liver disease that I had was a mixture of NASH and also, which is fatty liver disease and also uh, autoimmune disease, uh, which is genetic. Unfortunately, when for me, genetics has not been very good at, <laughs> to me. Uh, in 08, as you, in 2008, as you know, I had what was called an AVM. Basically, I was born with a fusion of arteries and veins, a mass in my head, in my brain, that eventually popped and caused an aneurysm. Uh, so I've gone through my health issues, and luckily, you know, I'm still here today and and I am forever going to preach that people need to take care of themselves better. Um, one of the things that I believe that got me through this is you have to have that triangle um, where spiritually you have to be in, in you have to believe in something. It, I, I'm not talking about religion, but if you keep a positive outlook, It'll help you, um, especially your support system. Yes, support system. And then mentally, you have to you have to stay in the fight. Um, once your mind gives up, once you give up, your body's gonna deteriorate because your body does what your mind tells it to. If you're mentally you keep in the fight, your body will recover from. Um, unfortunately, like I said, through through my job, I saw many people that unfortunately just gave up and died of what shouldn't have killed them and i've seen other people survive miraculously things that because they decided to stay in the fight and and that's one of the things that if you're mentally and and spiritually positive then your body will recover and i think that's one of the things that patients need need to realize that that there's there's always hope there's always a chance um because once you give up on that hope, your body's going to give out. Right. Got to have the support system. Got to be positive. Good yes. things will happen. Good things will happen. Yes. Jennifer, is there anything else you'd like to add? Well, I um, I will say, um, Mario, you I, I understand now why the team uh, really shared what a remarkable patient you are. Uh, your message today has been so spot on. Um, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, early detection 
prevention and, and all of the things you talked about that are needed to be healthy and um, have faith are, are so critical. Um, I, I feel like we just should hire you, put a uniform on you and get you in front of our patients, right? Um, I did want to just add, um, I know that you shared the link. If, uh, you know, I, I can't, um, I cannot emphasize more. Give your family a gift. Don't make them make a decision for you. Um, register your wishes to be an organ donor and let them enjoy um, um, all the benefits should they ever face that time. Uh, all, the, all the gifts that come to them from knowing that your last act on earth was to save so many lives. If you, if you are moved from today's talk and, and want to help a person just like Mario or others um, who, who are suffering on our waiting list, not knowing if they will get that call in time, um, um, you certainly can find out information on living donation. Uh, we have a multitude of, of people who just heard a story, went online. They really aren't even, you don't have, as Mario even shared, you don't have to be the same blood type. You don't have to be the same size, um, but you. But we will make sure it's very healthy and safe for you. And to, to do that, it's utclivingdonor.com. And uh, there's a, a link once you get there, maybe kidney donation is something you're interested in. Uh, maybe liver donation is, is something you're interested in, but um, wanted to make sure I shared that opportunity as well. And, uh, and for me personally, and everyone I've known since I could barely walk, walking into a library, visiting a library site has been a unbelievable comfort. It almost in a, in a way feels like home, no matter where, where the world takes you. If you could get to a library when you were a little kid, there was so much peace and, and so much knowledge there. And, um, and boy, I, I just love seeing the San Antonio Library continuing that tradition. It makes me feel so good to know we have such a strong presence in our community, such a strong and multifaceted um, library. Thanks for all that you do for us. Thank you for those kind words. Thank you for those kind words. Again, check out registerme.org. And as she said, utclivingdonor.com. If you want to be a donor, get involved, get the literature, donate life. That's also a website you can check out. Educate yourself. We have all the resources out there, the library, these websites we're giving you. Educate yourself. Don't put the burden on your family. Take the initiative to do it yourself. And hopefully we can save some more lives. This is Edward, Tune In Podcast Team. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening. And get connected on mysapple.org with Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Snapchat, Pinterest, Flickr, Instagram, and follow tuned in on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play Music.